When Jenny and I had been married a year, when Jenny and I had been married a year, we got asked to house sit and babysit for my director's two kids. So my director in college, band director, had had some late-in-life children in their 40s, and they were going to go off on the first weekend, extended weekend getaway that they had had, having had another set of children later in life. So Jenny and I were tapped to babysit Margie and Jody and house sit. There are a couple of things about this family, the Schwartzes. One is that uh, when we went into the house and to get oriented to where all the kids' stuff was and how things worked, uh, I went into one bathroom and immediately, whoa, there was a smell I was unprepared for. They used cloth diapers. This was a long time ago, back before there were hipsters, back before it was cool to recycle. Ronald Reagan was president. Nobody did this, but Mrs. Schwartz did. (laughs) And so some of you are like, good for her. I know I was scared to death. What is this? Okay. And the other thing about them is that they were Episcopalians. Okay. So on that Sunday we were going to take the kids to church. Jenny, being the wise person that she is, and she was a school teacher at the time and was really good with kids, said to me, Max, we need to not go to First Baptist this weekend. We need to just take the kids where they're accustomed to going and go to the Episcopalian church. And me and all of my wisdom that I had at age 21, I said, are you kidding? The kids will be fine. We're going to First Baptist. Ye of little faith. Margie and Jody cried the whole way home (laughs) after church that day. I had never, uh, one, Episcopalian services are remarkably short. I did not know that. And, And First Baptist in those days was an hour and a half on an early day, you know, okay? So, uh... I had never done a kid drop-off, and so I was an outsider. I was new to the whole process. You know, where do you take your kids? How do you drop them off? What do you get notified? And I mean, how does all of this work? And I saw my church with a brand new set of eyes that I had never had because I didn't have kids. I always did the non-kid thing on Sundays, and it never dawned on me that there was this whole other world part of church. I was an outsider for one Sunday at First Baptist. When Jenny and I moved to Kentucky in 1992, we tried a different church every Sunday for three months in a row looking for a church. And I would call pastors during the week and actually vet the churches based on their answers to my questions. Okay, this is before they had websites and stuff, okay? So I would call and ask questions, and then I would have a short list for what we were going to visit that week. And on one particular Sunday, this was in September, we had gone to the church, and uh, it was a sunny, beautiful September day. Beautiful day. And about five minutes before the service let out, a, one of those freak thunderstorms hit, and it, and it was just a downpour. It was a gully washer. And so we, the service lets out, we go out into this huge lobby, and we're stuck, in a sense, because we're in nice clothes. You know, it was back in the day when you kind of dressed up, and I was in a suit, my nice wingtips, and Jenny was in a nice Laura Ashley dress, and we were like, we're not getting soaked going out to the car, which is way out there. So we waited in the lobby for 20 minutes. We waited in the lobby all by ourselves, and no one said hello to us. 
And in that moment, we felt the weight of being outsiders. We had left our church family, our friends. We had left everything in Illinois. And that lobby, those 20 minutes, really amplified for us how much we were just starting over again. Um, Nowhere have I felt more like an outsider than when I started doing Wednesday night services with my buddy Michael. Michael was a friend of mine in college, and we had a lot of things in common. Michael and I had the same glasses, like almost identical glasses. They, we looked like giant owls. I wish I, I wish I could show you a picture. I mean, these, these were huge, <laughs> okay, excessively huge. And we both were Baptists. We both dressed conservatively. I mean, we, we were both theology majors. There was one difference that I didn't think would be that big of a difference, but I learned. Michael was black and I was white. And Wheaton was primarily a white school, and so I was going to go to his Baptist church on Wednesday, Wednesday nights. And so I, I, throw, I have my jeans and my polo shirt, and I'm ready. And, and he look, gives me one look, and he says, what are you doing? I'm going to church with you, Michael. No, 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 no. You're not dressing like that. First of all, I'm not bringing a white boy to church dressed like that. And so he made me go put on my nice suit, my nice wingtips. I didn't know. I didn't know. And holy cow, that was one of the first times in my life I remember having my eyes wide open about what does it mean to be an outsider and have to learn everything because the way you do church, the way you respond in church, you know, in my church, you sit and you don't say anything when somebody's at the pulpit. (laughs) But at Michael's church, it's totally participatory. And I was unprepared for that. I mean, I was, I had to sit on my hands that first night because I was like, you're doing it wrong. You know, you are not respecting the man up in the pulpit. And, you know, and so, I mean, I learned, I learned, I learned. Did you, so, unless, unless you are incredibly extroverted and overly self-confident, being an outsider is rough. It is. It's rough. Did you know that 80% of the people in our community are religious outsiders? Did you know that? On any given Sunday, only about 20%, 22% of people in Jessamine County drag themselves into a religious service in that week, 22%. So 80% of them, and a growing number of that 80% don't have any religious background at all. So when they go into a religious service, everything's brand new. Um, For those of you that were around in the early days of Generations, you'll remember when we did kid stuff, we would do these games, and the answer uh, to the game was always C. And I'll never forget the Sunday we had this guy come up. It was their first Sunday with us, and it was who was the you know who was the father of Jesus, the you know Mary's husband, and you know C Joseph was the correct answer, and he kept guessing A Abraham, and everybody in the everybody was yelling C C, and he's like A. <laughs> he didn't know it was a good guess, you know? If you didn't know, I mean, and so there are a lot of people in that category out in Jessamine County right now. There's, there's a big chunk of people that have some religious background, but not a lot, but it's enough that makes them a little weary of religious folks. Have you noticed, like, I, I, I pick up on this among the religious outsiders. 
uh, and if you can get them to be honest, they'll share a couple of things. One thing they'll share is, I think church people judge me. Like, on my, when I'm at work, when I, just living my life, I, I'm pretty sure church people judge me. And secondly, I'm pretty sure that church people think they're better than me. I mean, they won't say it, they won't admit it, but I know, you know, they go to church, they read their Bible, and I don't do any of those things. And they feel that. I'm, I'm just being honest. This, if you can get them to be honest, they will say these things. And so it is with outsiders. Um, did you know that it's, the world has always had religious insiders and outsiders? Did you know that? Oh, I know. The more things change, the more they stay the same. In the first century, the penultimate religious insiders were the Jews. The Jews, God's special chosen people. They knew the stories of God. They knew the commands of God, all 613, and they kept most of them. They knew how to dress. They knew how to pray. They knew what to wear. They knew when to work and when not to work. They were insiders. And they looked down on the religious outsiders, the Gentiles, the Romans, the people outside of God's chosen people. Uh, There were rumors that circulated in the first century among Jewish households that Roman women would have abortions and they would take their fetuses and put them down their drains and stuff the bodies under the floorboards of their homes. Well, now, if you're a good Jew, you know, that makes the house unclean, unclean. There's a corpse around. And this would circulate among the Jews. And so they wouldn't, you know, if you were a Gentile and you invited your Jewish neighbor in, she wouldn't enter your house. Are you kidding me? There's the risk she could be made unclean. It's a huge risk. Can't take that risk. And so, you know, there's this insider-outsider thing that plays out. Uh, The Romans... The Gentiles, the religious outsiders, they thought the Jews were stuck up. I mean, they did. First of all, they didn't eat pork, which at the time was the cheapest meat you could buy. Not so today, right? You want to buy a premium pound of bacon? You're going to pay like $8. You're going to need a second mortgage on your house just to fry up good bacon for breakfast night in the first century. In the first century, (laughs) in the first century, you could buy bacon for pennies. No. And, but the Jews, right, don't eat bacon. So Romans, they thought Jews were stuck up. They they wouldn't eat the, and then the other thing about these Jews, these religious insiders, tight with God people, they have to take a day off every single week. I mean, what? You're the Lord your God requires you to do nothing once every seven days? I mean, yeah, I wish that was my God too. I mean, sign me up, okay? <laughs> Get off your butt and work like the rest of us. I mean, this is a legitimate thing. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it the way we talk today, but this, this is first century, okay? So this is the world in which Paul and Barnabas traveled and the book of Acts was written, all right? And so, if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to Acts chapter 13, and we're going to be in verses 44 to 52. Acts chapter 13, verses 44 to 52. And I didn't mark it, so i got to look just like everybody else. 
And again, if anything about the passages that we're studying, you're like, I don't know what's going on here. I'd like to know more. Ask a middle schooler. Ask a high schooler. They can fill you in. They're in the know. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 44. Chapter 44. Chapter 13. This is where you're supposed to correct me. Okay, verse 44. The following week, the following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you've rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we'll offer it to the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas went to this town called Antioch of Pisidia or Antioch of Pamphylia. It's in the middle of modern-day Turkey. And as was the case with synagogues of the first century, when you had someone from out of town who was an out-of-town rabbi or dignitary, you'd give them an opportunity to speak. And so Paul's given this opportunity to speak in the synagogue. And there are some outsiders, some Gentiles that are God-fearing people. And Paul gives this message about Jesus and about how God is doing this new thing and that everything the Jews had hoped for has come in the person of Jesus. And that it's open to anyone to turn, repent and believe. And they were excited. They were so excited. They were like, you've got to come back next week. We've got to hear more about this. You've got to tell us about this Jesus person. I mean, and so uh, we see here, verse 44, the following week, almost the entire city turns out. I've preached a lot of sermons, and I got to tell you, it's never happened. (laughs) Right? But in this city, for what they were saying, the whole city wants to hear what Paul has to say about Jesus. All right? So, He's talking about eternal life. Uh, Paul spoke boldly. It was necessary we preach the word of God to you. But since you've rejected it, judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Eternal life. What do you think of when you hear those two words? If you grew up in church in the West, you probably think eternal life is this state beyond time and space. You know, and maybe you're, I'm serious, you're maybe you're uh, kind of this blobby spirit floating through, you know, sort of nothingness or on a cloud or it's outer dimensions, right? Okay. Jews of the first century knew what those two, that two word phrase meant, eternal life. It meant, it meant the age to come. See, Jews thought of world history as having two parts. Now, later. (laughs) This is simple. The present age, the age to come. And in the age to come, God's going to make everything right. It will be the same. We're embodied creatures. We're going to have resurrected bodies. We're going to be able to communicate like we communicate now. There's going to be things that are similar. There's going to be things that are different. Death and corruption, gone. So the age to come is going to be a kicking, amazing thing, an amazing time. You want to be a part of the age to come. But Paul says in verse 47, 
uh, and in these preceding verses, you guys have rejected it. Look what he says in verse 47. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. This light to the Gentiles is prophesied in Isaiah. It's what Simeon says of Jesus when Jesus is just a baby in the temple. In other words, everything in Jewish history was leading to this moment when the promise that God made to Abraham that I will bless all of the nations of the earth through you is going to kind of get traction and come to fruition. And Paul is saying... That's happening right now. This whole light to the Gentiles thing, we're getting traction. God is doing a new thing. Everything that we had hoped for as Jews has come to pass. God has become one of us. He sent his son who died the death that we deserve so that we could have life in the age to come. You've got to get in on this. I'm telling you, this is an amazing thing. And so Paul is making this argument, but... He's saying to the Jews who are rejecting this message, what? All right, let's, let's read on. Uh, when the Gentiles, verse 48, heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for this message. You're an outsider, and you're now being told you can get in with God. You can be adopted into God's family as an adopted son or daughter. That's pretty awesome. It was good news. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout the region. Now you would think, right? Everything that the Jews had hoped for has come to pass. I mean, this light into the Gentiles, you would think the next phrase would be, and there was much rejoicing. And you would be wrong. Let's go to the next verse, uh, the next slide. Instead of much rejoicing, verse 50 and following. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium, and the believers were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Paul, in making this thing, uh, in, in sharing the message of Jesus, when he t- talks to the Jews who are rejecting the message, He's flummoxed. He's like, we were looking. I mean, everything we were waiting for, I mean, is now, is Jesus. If you reject this message, you're rejecting life in the age, of, in the age to come. What are you, stupid? You know, he, he's beside himself. But like Jesus instructed the disciples when they first went out from town to town to, repent, to tell people, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. He told them, if you're not received, what do you do? You shake the dust off your feet and you move on. And that's what the apostles have done. But for a group, a big group of people who were outsiders, who responded to the message, who repented and believed, it really was good news. And they, the, the scripture tells us they were very very glad let me ask a question of you among the people that you know are you quick to dismiss the outsiders in your life are you quick to give reasons why they won't or shouldn't or would never join you in following god or join us in following god would it surprise you to know that some of them are actually eager to know who Jesus really is? 
and would be eager to follow him? You just need an invitation. Would it surprise you to know that? There are people, I'm telling you, there are people out there that are eager to hear this good news. Remember the stuff that religious outsiders think about church people? You're judging me, you think you're better than me. Do, are, do we really spend the majority of our time at Generations judging all of the religious outsiders? No. Do we think we're better than them? Oh, no. <laughs> There's a lot of common ground to build right there. And we have some amazing news because we're not worthy either. We've been given a gift and we're stoked about it because we got something truly awesome that we didn't deserve. All right? A year ago, somebody who started coming to Generations, one of their friends told them, you're going to worship services at Generations Community Church? Yes, I am. Let me tell you something about those people. They will let anybody attend. (laughs) Some of you are like, what? Shut the front door. Yes! Okay. So, (laughs) right? Yes, we will. Yes, we will. So, here's where the rubber hits the road. All right? In light of this passage, in light of what Paul and Barnabas are doing, in light of the fact that Jesmond County has tons of people who are religious outsiders... It's possible that you may need to fine-tune your outsider skills or outsider eyes, all right? And the first step to that is to ask God to help you see outsiders and have a heart for outsiders. Because if you consider yourself part of the inside crowd with God, it is. It's over time that that needs fine-tuning. One quick way to do that, and I'm giving you permission right now, take a Sunday and visit another church. What? I know. But you're new. Everything's new. How do they do things? Where am I supposed to sit? How's this supposed to work? All of a sudden, you'll come back and you'll be like, oh, we need signs. We need to do this. We need to do that. Right? It's, you know, it gives you a fresh set of eyes. Or if that's a little too scary for you and like, well, I've been to some other place. I really, okay, fine, uncle. Go to the Beef Cattle Association. Pick something you've never done before and be new. Be an outsider. And when they start doing their beef cattle thing, you're like, what? <laughs> and then you're like, I was supposed to bring a dish? How do I supposed to know that? Okay, so again, just pick something that is out of the ordinary where you're an outsider, and again, it can help you fine-tune your eyes along those lines. Um, Mitch Chemnitz would love a couple of you to partner with him on our facilities team. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, he, uh, a few weeks ago, he got a bee in his bonnet. He was like, you know what? When somebody who's relatively new to Generations comes, sometimes there are weekends these bathrooms need help. Uh, and so he'll, he's taking it upon himself. He will make sure the bathrooms are clean, smell good, etc. Because he was like, I need to make sure that there's a good impression for outsiders who come in. I don't want there to be something simple like a bathroom issue that would keep somebody to go, oh, well, I can't do that again. And so he, right? So he did that, and he's got a cleaning kit he keeps in one of the uh, cases out there. But I, I, I would love for you to look around for a moment. Look, look around this room. This is the dead of winter. We're getting a little full in here, aren't we? What are we going to do? Oh, no, danger, danger, okay? So, like, uh, and I'll tell you from my point of view, preaching like this where I've got to run over here and then run over there, I'm getting older. It's harder to do. (laughs) Okay? All right? Uh, 
in children's areas. We've just had a, a number of babies born. We have babies who come. The people, we have amazing people who work in children's areas, but our children's areas could be better. And so uh, one practical way that you could help with us building bridges with outsiders and insiders is through our physical space. Um, and that's a facilities team. They're asking the question, how do we make Lone Oak better for the time that we're here? And where do we go to next that's going to have better spaces? All right? Some of you here today, I know, as I've been talking, you if you were honest, you would say, well, you know what? I really like Generations. You're not half bad, Max. But I still consider myself an outsider when it comes to this whole Jesus thing that's me. I get that. And this is a good place where you can continue to kick the tires and see if there's any validity to it in the whole nine yards. But if you're ready this morning and you've kicked the tires long enough, you know, really, it's really simple. When Paul and Barnabas showed up in town, they they gave a message and they said, look, here's the deal. You can't work your way in with God. doesn't work that way. Even if you tried, you're just not good enough. God sent his son. He lived the life that you should have lived. He died the death that you deserve. And when you repent, which means you change your mind about yourself, about God, and you start following Jesus, boom, God will make you new. He'll give you a new, you'll be born again, to use the language that Jesus used in John. And it's really something as simple as saying yes, yes. And you can do that. You could do that today, right? For some of you, you would say, yes, okay, I'm an insider. Here's the thing about being an insider. I have the same couch in my living room that I've had since 1992. It's actually held up pretty well. But this happens with those of us who are homeowners. You buy a couch. You have, you're eating on the couch, and there's the pizza stain from Super Bowl 2013. For some of you, you've got the Super Bowl 2002. (laughs) For some of you, you're like, yeah, this is like the third covering we've had and the fabric's starting to come out. But anytime somebody who's new to your house comes in, what's the first thing they notice? Like, dude, you need a new couch. (laughs) You don't see the couch anymore. That's what happens when you're an insider. So again, maybe some fine-tuning. Ask God to help you and stepping outside of yourself. But if you're an insider, again, it's entirely possible that you know someone right now who's an outsider, who is actually eager to discover who Jesus really is and who would be eager to follow him. They just need an invitation.